If you've been a part of our, our church for the summer, you've checked us out or you've found us online, we've been in this conversation literally since the second week or the first week in June, I can't quite remember, and we've been, been in one passage. And we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and so we've spent our summer talking about what it means to love. And when we look at that, we say, uh, God said he is love, right? And so when he says that, and then we get to unpack that from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we kind of see every week, we literally have been taking it like sentence by sentence, right? And every time there's a new sentence, it's like, oh, now there's that. And oh, now I have to do this. And now this is a new way. And when we think about it, the group in first, or in Corinth would have thought about this. And as they received this letter, some of them would have understood that at one point there was a law with 600 laws that they had to follow, right? And so when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, when you have 600 laws, there's a law for everything. And all of a sudden now God says, no, the idea is that you would love one another. Set aside those 600 laws and just do what love is. And you're like, okay, well, that sounds easier. And then we get into it and we go, that's not necessarily easier. Because when there's a law for everything, there's always a right, there's always a wrong. And then when we think about love and what it just takes to love someone, well, that means that there's not always a right answer that fits every situation. And so we've been in this, and by the way, if you haven't noticed, right, I said it's already August, that means we're winding down. So we're coming to the home stretch. So we're in August, so some of you are really happy, like school's coming back. Some of the kids I've talked to are happy school's coming back. Like, they're bored, so they're ready to go back to school. I was never that way. I was always like, can we just do something? I think every August I asked my mom if she would homeschool me, because I just didn't want to go. I was like, I'd, I want to be done with that. But sports are starting up, so we're, we're coming down to this last section that we're going to talk about from this passage. And so we're going to start kind of down that path today. So I just want to read where we've been, the verses we've read every week, just to remind ourselves. So 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verses 4 and 5, right, says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Now, last week we talked about verse 6. We said it does not rejoice with injustice or wrongdoing, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And then here's verse 7, the last section we'll get to in the last couple weeks here. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And so that phrase in yellow, love never gives up, that's what we're going to talk about today. And sometimes if you've heard this passage, you maybe, or, or read this passage, you might have read it on somebody's wall, right? They have some nice art, and there's 1 Corinthians 13, or you've been at a wedding, and they read this passage. And when you get to this phrase, it's very tempting, especially in a marriage context, to just kind of go, okay, love never gives up. So if you give up in love, you've failed, that would be the way that you could read it. And especially if you're reading it at a wedding, it's tempting to kind of think that through and go, okay, well, if love never gives up, then if this marriage ends in divorce, they gave up. They failed. Not saying that's right. In fact, I don't think that's right. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. But, I, but that's what the temptation is. And maybe, maybe it's our like American culture, right? We don't want to give up. We don't want to quit. We're going to keep going. We're going to find a way. We're going to plow through, right? We're going to get there. We don't give up. And so we see this. We say, love never gives up. We think about that. We would say, love never gives up. Like, you never want to just say that you're going to be separated from your siblings, right? I'm not going to give up on loving you. I'm not going to give up on loving my kids. I'm not going to give up. But here's, here's the interesting thing. As I, as I looked at this passage and I looked at this phrase, I obviously saw this phrase, right? Love never gives up. But as we look at a couple of other versions that you might even have in your hand, there's a different sentence there for love never gives up. 
If you look at, I think it's the ESV, this is what it says. It says, love bears all things. So now it's not just a conversation about whether you quit on something or whether you give up on something, but there's almost an action, right? Like you're invested, you're bearing, you're carrying it. You're not just not quitting, but you are engaged in what's going on. And it says that you do that with everything. You are engaged, you're bearing all things. And then you go to the NIV, and this is what it says. It says, love always protects. Here's what's interesting, right? Those are three very different things. Saying you're not giving up and saying you're protecting somebody, that's different. That's not the same. And bearing everything and protecting everything, that could be kind of the same, but it's not always the same. And so it was very interesting to me as I looked at three versions of Scripture that I would say if you are holding any one of those three, NLT, ESV, NIV, you're in good shape. Like, those are good versions to read. You see these three different things. And now all of a sudden we see when we read that passage and we go, love never gives up, it's not just about quitting, right? These other two ideas are very interesting. And so here's what I thought. As I, I pondered this, I thought through this, I thought, what, it, what does this actually mean? And here's what I think, if you put these three things together, here's where I think we land, is that love creates a safe space. Think about it. Think about the people that you know that are not going to give up on you. You would say when you, when you fail, when you do something wrong, they're going to say, it's okay, we can get through this, right? I forgive you. Think about the people that you know that will bear with you or will go through hard times with you or when you need help, you can call them and they'll help you. Think about those people. Think about the people that you would say they've actually protected you, like they've helped you stay away from dangerous things, whether that's a physically dangerous thing or it's, an, or it's a thought process that's dangerous or it's a relationship that's dangerous, right? Those people, if there's someone that you know that you trust never to give up on you, they're always going to help you and they're even going to protect you, you feel very safe with those people. In fact, I would hope that that would be our relationship with our spouses, Right? I, I feel safe there. I feel like they're going to be these three things to me. I, I hope that you feel that way with your, your best friend and even your siblings. Like You just feel that way. They're going to be there for you. And you maybe even, hopefully, right? we want our kids to feel this way. If you have kids, you want them to know, I'm not going to quit on you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to protect you. And those are the safest relationships. So when it says this phrase, I think when you take all of those things into play, we would say that love creates a safe Space, And that's what I want to talk about today. What does that mean that we would create a safe space for people? And here's the thing, right? Not just for people that we know and love, because scripture even says if you love the people that are easy to love, everybody does that, right? You love the people that are like you, everybody does that, whether you know Jesus or not. But we're talking about, too, how do we create that safe space for maybe even people who don't know Jesus? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to go in our conversation. We're going to go to uh, Philippians chapter 4. So if you want to turn on your Bible, turn in your Bible. Um, you can also use the QR code on the back of the Next Steps card, uh, and you can scan that, and that will take you to our follow-along. You can scan it on the screen if you want to grab that too. Uh, the follow-along will give you all the verses, all the notes. You can ask a question. Had a great question come in last week that we got to talk through, which was awesome. And you can even share a prayer request. Um, so I would encourage you to go there and check that out. But Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start... In verse 2. Now, here's the thing with this verse, okay? You have to promise you're not going to laugh at me. Because I can't say these names, okay? You promise? Okay, some of you said yes, and some of you said, yeah, right, I'm going to make fun of you any chance I get. But 
Here's what, here's what he says. And this is Paul. Okay, let me just set this up too. Paul, same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians. Okay? So same person having the conversation, but two different churches, right? So Cor- Corinthians is written to Corinth. Philippians is written to Philippi. So there's some differences here, but at the same time, they're both new churches within 20 years of Jesus leaving. Okay? Jesus ascending back into heaven. So some of the stuff they're dealing with is the same, and some of the stuff is a little bit different. But here's the conversation. He says, now I appeal to you, I'm going to say Eudia, I don't know if that's right or not, and Syndicate. I think that's right. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now, how would you like this if you get a letter from somebody who's like the head honcho that's like helping to plant all these churches? This is the person you look up to. You get three chapters in, well, we put the chapters in, but you get three sections into this conversation and all of a sudden your name appears. Now, in some ways you might be like, okay, that's cool. Like maybe this is good, but not in this case, right? He's like, hey, you two that are having this fight, you need to stop. You're like, that's not the reason I wanted to be in this letter. Verse four, he goes on, he says, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. And then verse four and five, he says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Now this is interesting. Take these few verses and look at where he just went. He talks to these two women and says, stop fighting, okay? You need to stop your disagreement. He looks at the other people that are there that aren't involved in the disagreement, and he says, you guys go help them. Go help them make the right decision. Go help them fix their issue. Now, let me pause for a minute and go back to last week. Last week, we saw a conversation in 1 Corinthians 5 where there was someone having an inappropriate relationship with his mother-in-law, and the immediately, immediately Paul says, get him out. And I even said last week, there's a lot of hot takes in that chapter, right? Like Paul is talking to this, this guy, or talking about this guy, talking to the church and saying, if you allow him to continue in sin and continue to be a part of your church, this is a problem, and so you need to get rid of him. And I said, there are other places in Scripture where we would recognize that there must have been other conversations that are happening because we see here in Philippians, right, the conversation is not, they're wrong, kick them out. It's, they're wrong, they're, they're still following Jesus, they're still continuing in that way, they just have this disagreement they need to fix. So even as we talk about this idea of love, there are different ways to deal with different circumstances, and so he has them go. And then as he says, hey, go have this conversation, right? In verses 4 and 5, he turns this corner and goes, and always be full of joy in the Lord. That's weird. Why does he say you have to go help them? And then he says, oh, by the way, always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone know that you are considerate in what you do. Why? Because maybe they get this message and they're like, I don't want to deal with them, right? Why do I have to get involved? This isn't my life. This isn't my disagreement. This isn't what I have to do. Why am I the one now who's being called into helping these two fix what they need to fix? They just need to fix it. But he says, no. He says, when I call you to do something, or I ask you to do something, he says, be full of joy. Don't have a bad attitude about it. I think about this whenever you, maybe you were this way when I was a kid. I've seen it with other kids, including my own, right? And someone says, uh, can you go get that toy? And what's the, what's the, you know, conversation after. I didn't get it out, right? I'm not the one who was playing with it. I didn't put it there. It was the neighbor three doors down. Well, what do you want me to do? Go knock on their door and say, now they come get your toy, 
right? We, we have this idea of like, I, it's not my issue. He says, no, that's not right. You should engage and be ready to do what I'm asking you to do. Then he goes on in verse 6, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then in verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, this verse, other verses we're going to see in a minute, we see out of context, actually, it's not necessarily bad. Like, this verse can be uh, for a, a number of different things. But when you think about it in the context of what's actually happening and what Paul's actually talking about, is he's telling them, before you go have this conversation with them, you also have to recognize that you have to go have a conversation with God. Like, you have to make sure that your heart is in the right place. You have to pray and ask him to give you what you need and have, give you wisdom for where you're going. And he says, and then you will experience God's peace. Here's how I would have responded if I got this note and I felt like Paul was telling me to go tell these people to knock it off. I literally would have showed up and said, hey, Paul says knock it off, right? Like, stop it. Mom said, right? Dad said, you need to stop. That's the conversation. But instead, again, he says, don't go that way. This isn't just you coming in guns blazing and telling these people that they need to do. He says, no, you have to actually think about what you're doing. Do it with joy. Have a conversation with God. And ask him to give you what you need. Recognize that you are not the one with the authority here. You are not the one that just gets to tell people what to do. And I would say this as we, as we process that, that apart from Christ, we cannot love well. In fact, if we don't consider Christ and how we're loving other people, we're, we're going to get in the way. We're going to be the ones that we, you know, our opinions are going to be the ones that are most important and what we think is true and what we think is right. And we, we have to stop. And Paul says, just take a beat, right? Don't just go, go in like this, but go in knowing that you're coming as someone who loves them. Because here's the other thing too, right? As he comes into this space, the goal would be to create a safe space for them to change. When someone comes in and, and has to ask you to change or has to ask you to fix a disagreement or has to ask you to reconcile with someone else, if they come in and they just say, God says you're being wrong, so stop, right? Probably not going to respond super well to that. When you come in and you say, hey, like, this isn't good. We want you guys to fix this relationship. We care about you. We love you. We know this isn't what God wants for you. And we even want to, what was the, one of the words we talked about? We want to protect you because where the path you're going down could theoretically lead to a place you don't want to be. And you might do something that you regret. And so as someone who wants to be a part of and help you fix it, we're, gonna, we're not going not gonna to kick you out. We're going to bear, we're going to um, not give up on you. We're going to bear with you and help you in your problem. And then we're going to protect you from what you're doing to make sure that you don't go down the wrong path. And so all those things, as we think about love and we think about this conversation apart from Christ, we, we don't do that well. But when we're sharing the love of God or the love of Christ with somebody else, then those things can be done well. He goes on in verse 8. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, think about this for a minute. Where is it you normally see this verse? Or where is it when this, this verse usually comes in the conversation? Usually, when I, in my experience, it comes out in the conversation anytime we're having a conversation about like what we're reading, what we're watching, and what we're listening to. 
And that's not wrong. It's not a problem. That's not like this verse has nothing to do with that. But at the same time, again, think about the context in which we're having this conversation. He says, as you're going forward, as you're entering into this conversation, first of all, recognize you can't do it without God. And then as you get there, you're thinking about what is right and what is pure and what is lovely and what is admirable. Why? Because as they enter that conversation, they're going to be thinking about those things in themselves and also in the people they're talking to. So they go, yeah, there's a problem, but think about what this person did before. And Paul even said this, right? He said, they worked with me before. This isn't all about just fixing it or, or being mad at them or telling them they just need to cut it out. He goes on in verse 9 and says, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. He says, Think about these good things and then remember how the way that I did it with you. I was an example for you. So this is the way you're supposed to do it. Here's a different way to think about this, okay? Let me ask you this question. What soundtrack plays in your mind when you think of that person? Now you're like, what person? Well, I think there's different soundtracks that play in our minds for different people. If your phone rings this afternoon, there are certain people that when you look at the name on it, you're going to go, oh, man. What is it this time? <laughs> what are they going to ask? Where they, you know, What's this going to be? There's certain people that are going to call you, and you're going to see who's on the other side, and you're going to go, oh, this is great. They haven't called me in forever. I was just thinking about you, right? And you're going to answer right away. The other person you're going to think a few times before you answer, right? And there's people in the middle. There's people that call and, and you know, you're like, oh, yeah, they call me and whatever. Like, there's a, but there's a, there's a thought process or there's a soundtrack that's in your brain and in my brain before those people call. And, and there's thought processes that happen. And, like, your assumption or your thought about them is going to impact the way that you interact with them, Right? Here's what I want us to understand. Your thoughts and my thoughts about someone will impact the way that you love them. And I think when Paul was saying, hey, focus on what's true and admirable and good, he was saying, when you think about those people that now you're going to have to go and lead, you're going to have to go and love, he's saying, think about the good things that they did. Don't just focus on the fact that you have to go fix their problem. Think about what, the, what they have going on that's, that's good. So another way of saying that would be think about their potential, right? When we think about someone's potential, usually what we're saying is they're not doing it yet, but with the right help, with the right coaching, they could be something really, really good. And so we invest in them differently, even though they haven't necessarily like earned it or showed us they have it yet. And so Paul's saying, look at what you know to be good in them. Look at what they have done. They're not doing it right now, but what do you know about them and process that and think this is a good thing. And as you go into a conversation like they would have to go into or any other conversation, you're going to go in and you're going to have this positive soundtrack going, this lovingness of them instead of the bad things that you were thinking about them, and you're going to love them differently because of it. But when we allow the wrong things to sit in our minds, we're not going to love as well. This is easy for me. I'll use a really silly example, right? You can think of your favorite sports team, whatever that is, right? And usually, if, if that's the case, or you could think of your favorite actor, you could think of your favorite author, and whatever that, whenever that person does something, that team is playing, that person writes a movie or acts in a movie or writes a book, you're like, yeah, I really like them. And then there's the opposite side, right? So then there's the Dallas Cowboys. And when that name comes into my mind, I don't want anything to do with it, right? Or maybe there's an actor you don't like. I don't really think Channing Tatum's any good, just being honest. 
you guys got really quiet. I guess you all really like Channing Tatum. Okay. So but if Becca's like, I want to go see it, and it's like Channing Tatum's in there, I'm like, I don't really, you can watch it. Like, it's just not. So there's like certain people who are just like, I, I don't want anything to do with it, right? You just think about that way. I'm sure he's a great guy. Not anybody on the Cowboys, but Channing Tatum's probably a good guy. But like, you just think about it and you go, this is the soundtrack that's in the back. You just know this is how you're going to respond with that person. And what does Paul say in verse 8, right? Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Think about what's praiseworthy instead of what's negative. And love people in light of that. And I would say it this way, that we would see the best in other people to love them the best. When we're focused on what's wrong, we don't love them well. We focus on what they don't do well. We don't love them well. We don't, when we think about all the mistakes they've made, we don't love them well. When we think about who they are and what God has said about them, what they do do well, what they have done well, what their potential could be, we will love them well. When Jesus had this conversation, he did it a couple of times, um, he would always pick someone in the conversation that no one would like. So you think about, we're not going to go there today, but you think about the par- like Good Samaritan, right? Why do you pick a Samaritan? Because no one in the conversation would have liked Samaritans. So when he says you have to love other people well and be a good neighbor to somebody else, he picked one of the people that no one would want to be a neighbor to. And he said, this is the standard, right? This is who you have to go after. In Matthew chapter 5, we spent a lot of time in Matthew chapter 5 uh, last year as we talked about the Sermon on the Mount. But there, there's a little phrase that Jesus sneaks into Matthew chapter 5 in verse 41. And he simply says this, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. We get no context there, so let me help you understand. Roman soldiers who were just kind of in and amongst people, right, because Rome was ruling over Israel, they could look at you and just say, Hey, I'm tired. You get to carry my stuff. Or my horse is tired. You get to walk next to my horse and carry the heavy stuff. You're like, there's a horse there. Why am I carrying him? He says, you can do this. And they could do it for up to a mile. Now, the mile that's there is a little bit shorter than ours, right? Our mile is 5,280 feet. Their mile is like 4,800 and some change. But you're pretty close. And this stuff was heavy. And so if you're like, I'm going this way, and the soldier goes, hey, I'm going that way, and we're going a mile. You couldn't say no. Like, I have an appointment to keep that way a mile. He's like, not today, you don't. And you just have to go. This would be the worst situation, right? This is not fun. This is not good. And this is somebody stepping into your world and saying, I'm taking over. I'm going to tell you what to do. And you can't do anything about it. They would have hated this because they thought those guys were scum anyway. And Jesus says, when you carry his gear for a mile, he says, carry it too. You go, what? Like, a mile's enough. Like, you carry it too. Why? Because here's what he would have wanted to happen. He would have wanted the conversation to be between you and the soldier. He would have wanted us to say, I'm not going to think about the worst parts of this soldier. I'm going to think about the best parts of this soldier. And we're going to have a conversation. We're going to start to talk. And we're going we're gonna to talk about, remember, you're just walking a mile carrying heavy stuff. So you got a while. You're just going to start to ask him about him and, and talk about him and, and have a conversation. And when they get to the end of the mile and he says, okay, you're done, you go, no, let's go another one. I'll carry it another mile. 
He goes, what? All of a sudden, you were different to him. You now became someone who was willing to do something for him, that was willing to bear with him. And you continue to have the conversation. And maybe the next time he sees you in the crowd, guess what? Maybe he picks you again. And again, that, in this conversation, when people would think that about what Jesus was saying, they'd be like, no, I don't want them to pick me again, right? That's not good. But at the same time, he says, go the extra mile. Don't just do what you have to. Do what I would do. It creates a space where all of a sudden now somebody that didn't know God or know Jesus gets maybe the opportunity for you to have that conversation with them because you were different than every other person that they've asked to carry their stuff. They dragged their feet. They were upset. They were annoyed. They just walked in silence. And then when they got to the end, they just dropped the stuff and walk away, right? Different. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to not give up on you. I'm going to be a safe space for you. And I would say this, right? Love the way that you have been loved. We know that Jesus, those of us who are Jesus followers, right? We know that Jesus has gone the extra mile for us. We know that. We understand that we didn't deserve it. And so that means we have to do this for other people. But this is where it gets dicey. This is where it doesn't get fun. Because when you love like Jesus, here's three things that happen. When you love like Jesus, you will give to those who don't deserve it. That doesn't sound good, right? They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. Why would I give it to them? Because you're thinking about what would be what could be the best in them. You might give of your time or your energy, but what have they done for me, right? Doesn't matter. Or your finances, maybe, or just your wisdom to them. You're going to give to people who don't deserve it because that's what Jesus did. When you love like Jesus, it also means that you're going to forgive even those who don't deserve it. Yeah, but they didn't say they're sorry. Yeah. Have you said sorry to Jesus every time? Have I said sorry to Jesus every time? They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't see it yet. Yeah, but Jesus forgave you even before you understood it. Before he made you, he forgave you. So we don't get to hold the gate on that. So you're going to give to people, you're going to forgive people, and then here's the last thing. You will carry a burden that isn't yours to bear. Why? Because Jesus carried a cross that wasn't his to bear. And so you're going to look at other people and you're going to say, I'm going to bear with you even when you don't deserve it. You didn't even ask for it, maybe. And maybe we'll bear with him. Right? Jesus says this famous verse, 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And sometimes we think about this verse, and it's like super endearing to us. And it should be, because Jesus is saying this to us too. He's saying like, hey, if, you, if your life is difficult, come to me. Like, I will help you. I'll be there for you. But here's the thing. If we're going to love like Jesus, here's the other side of this. That means we're called to do this for other people too. And so work on this phrase. Maybe you can do it, right? You think about it in your head. I just put up here, and maybe you put your name in the blank, right? Then Corey said, come to me when life is hard. I'm here to help when you need me. Can you put your name? Like, are there people that know this about you? Are there people that don't know Jesus who know this about you? Because again, it's easy. 
right? And we even encourage you at GFC, as a part of our body of believers, that you would be in community with one another so that when life is difficult, you have a crew of people around you who say, I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to be with you on this. I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you, right? We want that to be in place for you. But that means that we also should be reaching other people who don't know Jesus in order to have that conversation as well. And then he goes on in verses 29 and 30 of Matthew 11. It says, Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, let me, let me be very clear that I'm not saying that we can bear the same burden that Jesus can bear for somebody. We can't save anybody's soul, right? We can't give them eternal security. We can't do that. But I think we can look like Jesus to other people. And when Jesus says, come to me, give me your burden, I will help you, we can do the same thing. And I would even go as far as to say, love means being a place of refuge for those who are battered by the world. Like if the church was seen as a place that when people are struggling... People have a hard time. They go, I can immediately turn to the church. And they're going to not give up on me. They're going to bear with my burden. And they're even going to help protect me. And this would be a safe place. Not just our church, but the church as a whole. would be this safe place where people who are having a rough go of it in life would say, I can depend on them. They'll show up when I need them. They'll be there. And here's why we can do this. Because when my greatest burden, when our greatest burden is already gone, I can help carry what someone else can't. Let me give you, I have three examples of this, okay, before we wrap up. Here's the first one. And this is not a giving conversation. I'm just using this as an idea, okay? Maybe sometimes you have a week like me where your husband or wife calls you and says, my car won't start. And now what do you have to do? You got to start figuring out. There's certain thoughts that come through your brain, right? What's your soundtrack at that point? Probably not great. So you're thinking through, okay, what do I have to do? Well, I have to figure out, I was an hour away from Becca when that happened. So I'm like, okay, are there other people to help? Can they get there? What's going on? How do we get the car from here to there? And who's going to take care of it? And blah, blah, blah. And then at some point in that conversation, the, the idea comes up, this is going to cost me money, right? Wasn't planning on that this morning when I woke up. And sometimes you get to that point and you're like, okay, well, like we have this set aside and we're good to go. Some days, maybe you don't. Here's the temptation, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you've already decided like, okay, my finances are set up and we're good and I'm going to give this amount to, you know, to God at a church or whatever and I'm set this aside and then all of a sudden there's this unexpected expense, the temptation could be that we're going to go, oh, well now like I didn't know that so I haven't given this money yet so let's take a little bit from the, what I was going to give to God and like let's slide over here so I can make sure I can pay for the car. I get that, but here's what I hope, Right? My hope is that we've also, in deciding to give to God, we've also given that burden to God. And so when something happens like, oh no, I have to spend this money to fix this, or the house leaks, or whatever, like when that comes up, I go, well, Jesus already knew that was going to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen this morning. He did. So if he's got that under control, and I'm saying I trust him with my finances, well then when that happens, I know I can trust him to kind of figure this out. I don't have to take from him to give over here. That's what I hope happens, because that burden of our well-being was given to Jesus. Let me give you another example, and, and this one goes to kind of people that maybe wouldn't know Jesus, or outside of ourselves, right? Um, a few weeks ago, it's actually over a month ago now, I had to do a video sermon because I had COVID, right, in, in June. And that happened uh, the week that Roe v. Wade was overturned, right? 
And if you were watching that day, I said a couple, I said, first of all, we agree with that decision. My stance, our stance at a church is, at our church, is that abortion in any form is against God's will. But I also said I wasn't necessarily excited when I heard it. And here's why. Because I thought about how people who don't know Jesus are going to process that information. Here's what I mean by that, right? Here's what I would hope would happen. If you're someone who knows Jesus, whether you're in the room, you're watching online, whatever, and there's an unexpected pregnancy that comes, whether it, you know, it's out of marriage, it's in marriage, you were done having kids, this was a surprise, like all, there's all different scenarios, right, where unexpected pregnancy can just happen. Here's my hope. If we're followers of Jesus, we would look at that situation and we would go, well, God gave me this child, right? God has a plan for this child. And so if it's his child and not just mine, and he's got a plan for them, I'm, I get to step into that and be a part of God's plan. And so I'm not going to take that plan and just throw it to the side. I'm just going to step in and say, well, I didn't expect this, but this is, this is God's child. He's going to take care of it and love it even more than I do. So we're going to step into that, and we're going to go there. Here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, there's no way to hand over that burden. And so all of a sudden, you step into this moment of unexpected pregnancy, and all of that falls to that person. Now, we can play the game of, well, how did this happen, blah, 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 right? We can play that game. Or we can just say, this is a burden that that person doesn't know how to bear. And here's what I'm saying we get to do as a safe place, okay? When we step into life, okay, I'm just going to pretend I'm holding something. I didn't bring anything up to hold. I'm just going to pretend, right? We carry certain burdens into life, right? So even as a kid, we think I have to get good grades, right? My parents want me to get good grades. Or I have to be good on my team, right? My teammates need me, and so that's a burden that I bear. And then all of a sudden, it turns into I have to get into the right college, right? I have to make sure I get into school and I can do this, or I, I get the right training so then I can get the right job. And if I get the right job, then I want to make sure I also find the right spouse, and maybe we have kids, and then my wife and kids or my husband and kids depend on me. And so I have all these things that I bear, and, and it all falls to me. And I have to be good, and I have to work on that, and I have to make sure that I do the right things, because if I fail, I let them down. Here's the difference, right? When you come to know Jesus, what do you do? You take that burden, and you just hand it to Jesus. And the important thing is you let go, right? You hand it to him, and you, and because Jesus will look at you and say, I'll be the one who will sustain your family. I'll be the one who makes sure that if you follow me, you get to the places you're supposed to go. I'll be the one who, as long as you faithfully raise your children, I'll make sure they go where they're supposed to go. They're mine too, right? All of a sudden in life, Jesus holds those burdens. Doesn't mean we don't show up. Doesn't mean we don't work hard. Doesn't mean we don't do those things. But the way that it turns out is all on Jesus. And he can hold it. Then guess what? We stand here and we've got an easy burden. Like Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So now we've got empty hands. We've got the easy burden because Jesus carries all the stuff that's heavy for us and we get to just love other people. Well, what happens when you're around people who are carrying heavy things and you have nothing in your hands? You should look at them and say, how can I help? And now all of a sudden, for the people that don't have anywhere to hand their burdens, we get to be the ones to say, I'll help you. I'll help you carry that. So for the mom that has an unexpected pregnancy, right? I'll buy diapers. I'll watch the kids. I'll buy formula. For someone who loses their job, right? I'll, I'll help you find work. I, I have some people I can connect you with. I'll, I'll step in and I'll, I'll bear that with you. Why? Because my burden is easy. Theirs isn't. Because they don't know Jesus yet. And the whole goal, obviously, right at that point, is to say that we're going to bear this burden together and I want you eventually to do what I did. 
hand it off to Jesus. Here's the hard thing. Burdens are not easy to bear, especially for people that we have negative soundtracks about our minds of. And when we look at other people and we say, you don't look like me, you don't believe like me, you don't think the same things as me, I don't want to help you. That's why Paul said, when you go into this situation, don't just go running in. (laughs) You pray about it, you believe the best in them, and you do what love would do. Why? Because what did love require of Jesus? We've asked this question, right, every week. We've said, what does love require of me? And when I figure that out, that's how I'm going to know what I'm supposed to do. What did love require of Jesus? That he would come down and he would bear the burden that was not his. Because he loved us. And because we could not bear that burden. We couldn't. We couldn't fix our sin problem. He had to. And people that don't know Jesus have nowhere to hand their burden. And we get to be the one that says, I'm going to help you, first of all. I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be a safe place for you because I know a safe place for you to hand your burden. And the question for us is how far will I go to love someone? How far will we go? There's there's a line that is drawn in each of our minds with people as how far we will go. For some people, it's much further. And that's understandable. But for Jesus, looking at all of us, He said, I will go as far as I possibly can to bear your burden and be a safe place for you to land. And I will not quit on you. I will bear the burden and I will protect you. So when we look at this phrase, right? Love doesn't give up. It's not just about not quitting. It's about saying the people that are difficult for me to love, the people that don't deserve my love, the people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to bear with them. And I'm going to protect them. I'm going to stand with them. I'm going to help them hand their burden off to the person that I handed mine off to. And that's when the church becomes a safe place. And I'm not saying, right, that we would overlook sin and we would not say what sin is and we would not say you know help them understand what's wrong or right I'm not saying that but what I am saying is we have to love first because that's what Jesus did for us and when we're willing to do that then people will step into the conversation right when Jesus said about carrying the armor they had to carry the first mile the second mile is what got interesting So sometimes we do what we have to, and then we're done. Jesus says when you go that extra step, that extra mile, that extra piece, and you show up differently because you care about that person, that's when people notice. And sometimes we're not good at that. Not just us, people in general. We're just not. But that that idea of of carrying someone's burden and handing it off to Jesus is so powerful. So my question is, will you? Will you look for opportunities where you get to carry the burden of somebody else? And not just to go, here's Jesus, right? But that you would actually help them and be that safe space 
so that you can eventually hand them off to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we we recognize that this is not easy. I recognize this is not easy. And I also recognize that it would be, what would be easy is maybe to walk away from this conversation and kind of forget because there's, there's tension in this. And sometimes it's easy to say, now my burden is easy and I'm just going to run. I'm just going to go. I, I don't want to take on somebody else's burden. And yet that's what you could have done and you didn't. And so I ask that you would give us opportunities that are clearly you saying, carry this burden for somebody. Take your easy burden that I've given to you and help somebody else's difficult burden to bear. And in doing so, we would create this safe space where we can build a relationship and have a conversation and, and, and someone might look at us and go, why are you different? Why are you going the second mile when you only had to go one? can say, because I handed my burden to Jesus. Because I did that, I can help you, and I can help that person, I can help that person, and ultimately I want you to give it over to Jesus. I pray that that would be the reality, even as we, at the end of the month, we go to serve people. That we would not see that as just a, a day where church doesn't happen, a day where we don't have to be here, a day where we just get to Relax but that we would tangibly carry burdens for other people. And we would do that on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen.